If you have a, a calendar for 2024 with Bible verses on it, chances are that this will be one of the verses. And as we look at this verse together to, today, I hope you will see why it is uh, so loved. However, it's also one of those verses which is often quoted but not so well understood. At least in terms of, of many of those quoting it do so with, with no real idea what the rest of the chapter is talking about. And it is important when we read the Bible not just to, to pick verses at random out of context. Uh, and so we want to look at this verse today, but we want to look at it in the, the context in which God has given it to us. And so as we stand on the verge of a new year, we're going to look at this great promise under three headings. And we start by saying that this isn't a promise for everyone. This isn't a promise for everyone. Imagine opening a letter and finding a check for a thousand pounds but just as you're beginning to celebrate the unexpected windfall you notice that although it came through your door it wasn't actually addressed to you uh, your name isn't on the envelope and someone else's name is on the check and so even though you're the one holding the check it isn't going to do you any good someone else will benefit from it but you won't so before you get too excited, uh, you need to check who it is addressed to. And it's the same with the promises of God. God makes thousands of amazing promises in the Bible, but they don't all apply to everyone. For example, there's the, the promise of heaven. Uh, many, many people take the promise of heaven and apply it to themselves. You go to, go to funerals and the promise of, of heaven is inevitably applied to the deceased, no matter whether they have trusted in Jesus or not. But the Bible tells us that heaven is only a promise for those who've been born again. It's for those who've repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And in the same way, in verse 11, God's promise of a future and a hope is not a promise for everyone. In verse 12, it's a promise for those who will, uh, in light of what God does, who will pray to him. In verse 13, a promise for those who will seek him with all their hearts. It's not that these things will earn them God's promise and God's favour. But it's that if they do these things, they'll show that they truly are God's people. But not everyone will pray to him. Not everyone will seek God with all their hearts. It's not a promise, for example, for the false prophets who are mentioned in verses 21 to 23. Those who prophesied falsely and committed adultery. They wouldn't have a future and a hope. In verse 21, they would be struck down. They would become like those who the king of Babylon had roasted on the fire. So before we come to this promise today, you need to ask, does it apply to you? And the main way to know whether it does apply to you 
is to ask whether you're trusting in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians tells us that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. And so if you don't know Jesus, then you're cut off from God's promises, apart from his promises of judgment. There's nothing you can do to earn God's promises. All all that you can do, even the good things, deserve God's curse and not his blessing. But Jesus came to this earth to take the curse that his people deserved and earn God's blessings for us. The baby uh, that so many remember at Christmas time grew up and became a man, fully human in every way, yet without sin. And then when he was around 30 years old, he was taken and nailed to a Roman cross. It was a horrific method of execution, and yet the physical suffering wasn't what won salvation for his people. It was that on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God. But Jesus did not suffer and die for everyone. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that there have always been uh, and will always be two different groups of people. The sheep and the goats, the wise and the foolish, the blessed and the cursed. How do you know which category that you're in? By how you respond to Jesus Christ. By whether you have trusted in him for yourself. The benefits of what Jesus did on the cross, they don't flow to anyone automatically. You must trust in him. Yes, it's true to say that that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Uh, but, But the us is talking about Christians. It's about those who've believed. Jesus didn't die for Hitler or Bin Laden or or thousands of respectable law abiding people in Stranraer who live and die without ever putting their faith in him. So what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't come to us automatically. Boys and girls, what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't automatically come to you. Uh, your mum and dad may have trusted in Jesus, but you need to trust in Jesus for yourself. And you're never too young to do that. Maybe you've done it already. So th- this promise of a future and a hope, it, it isn't for those who merely go to church. In fact, if, if you're someone who doesn't trust in Jesus uh, and, and you come to church, that, that makes you in a worse position than those who are in, in countries where there are no churches and there are no ministers and they've never heard. Uh, they are still guilty, but not half as guilty as those who've had opportunity after opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus, but have not done so. So have you repented and believed? If you have, according to verse 12, you'll be someone who prays and you'll be someone in verse 13 who seeks God with all your heart. It is amazing that the Bible uh, calls us to seek God with all our our hearts and and some people think, "Well, well, God will be happy with an hour a week. That's all that he needs. But are you someone who has moved uh, past outward religion to a real living relationship with God? This isn't a promise for everyone, but it can be a promise for everyone here today. 
if you haven't yet truly believed in Jesus, or if you're not sure, don't start another year hoping that your religious performance will be enough. I can tell you now with God's authority that it will not be enough. Uh, the Apostle Paul's r- religious performance as a, as a Pharisee, it outstripped all of ours, but it was not enough. So don't let 2023 end without putting your trust in Jesus. This is a promise for everyone, but it can be a promise for everyone here. It can be a promise for you. But then secondly, this morning, having a future and a hope doesn't mean that hard things won't happen in between. Having a future and a hope doesn't mean that hard things won't happen in between. So you've got your your 2024 calendar and imagine this is the verse for January. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But before the month is over, you get diagnosed with cancer. A loved one dies in a car accident and your house burns down. Would this verse still be true? Are you still meant to believe that God has plans for your peace, welfare and prosperity? If evil things happen to you, are you still meant to believe that God's plans for you are not evil? Well, this is where we need to understand how this promise was fulfilled to those it was originally given to. This is the bit that many of those who who see it on calendars or or on bookmarks don't realise. And this is that God's people would have to go through much suffering before they experience the future and the hope that God was promising. The situation in this chapter is that God's people have recently arrived in exile in Babylon. It was God's punishment on them for their disobedience. But just like the First World War, many people thought it would soon be over. They thought the First World War would soon be over, but would be over by Christmas. And so those uh, brought to exile in Babylon thought, "It's it's only for a wee short while. In fact, if you go back exactly one chapter to chapter 28, verse 11, false prophets were telling those in Babylon that they're going to be there for less than two years. Here in verse 9, God says, that is a lie. In verse 10, he says, actually, they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. That's why he says in verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and so on. They're not going to leave Babylon anytime soon. If you're going to be there for two years, maybe you don't need to build a house. But if you're going to be there for 70 years, you do. Most of them who are alive when this letter arrives will not be alive when God's people go back to Jerusalem. And so though Jeremiah 29, 11, although it's a positive verse today, it it wasn't a positive verse when it was first given because it came as part of a message of judgment. The popular message was the one the false teachers were preaching to say that soon it would all be over. Do you see the relevance of this verse today? It tells you that God's plans are for your welfare, that his plans are to give you a future and a hope. 
But this isn't a guarantee that you're not going to face hard things on the way to that future. For God's people in this chapter, God was asking them to believe that two things were true. One, that he loved them and had a perfect plan for their lives. But two, that they were going to have to face decades of suffering before that plan was fully realised. He loved them and had a perfect plan for their lives, but that plan included decades when they would be away from home. Decades of struggle. In fact, God's goodness was going to come to them even in the midst of suffering. It wasn't that this is a promise that God would be good to them, but only after 70 years. Uh, that these are, are promises, but don't open them for 70 years because they're not relevant now. No. even during those 70 years he would be good to them where they were he promised back in chapter 24 verse 6 I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land I will build them up and will not tear them down I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with their whole heart being carried into exile would actually be for the people's good. How is that? Well, it would make them rely on God more. For 70 years, they would have to go without the things that they regarded as essential to their well-being. No no land, no king, no army, no temple. Hammer blow after hammer blow after hammer blow. And yet in going without God's gifts, they would be forced to rely more on God himself. All the supports that they clung on to would be taken away and they would have nothing to cling on to but God. And that would be a good thing. What are the things or people in your life that you couldn't imagine surviving without? Is that a loved one, a job, a house? a reputation, a a ministry or, or some opportunity to serve God? Is it your health? If you're God's child this morning and he takes any or all of those things away from you in the year ahead, his good purposes for your life will not have changed. And in fact, if he takes those things from you, you can be sure that it is necessary that he does so in order for him to achieve his purpose for you. And that it would be, in fact, worse for you if God did not take them away. Listen to what he says back in chapter 24, verse 9, about those who would try to stay behind in Jerusalem. Those who would try to avoid suffering in exile. Those who would try to cling on what they they had. Cling on to what they had and escape God's discipline. He says, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. To be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. They would try to stay in the land, they would try to cling on to what they had and they would lose everything. So when you see this famous verse, whether on a calendar, on Facebook, on Pinterest, 
on, on a bookmark, maybe printed on, on a journal someone has given you for 2024. If you're someone who has been born again, yes, you can 100% claim this promise. But don't take it as a promise for an easy life. That has never been something that God has promised his people. But do take it as a promise that whatever happens, God's purposes for you are good. And that his good purposes for you include even the things that you would not choose. Have you heard the old poem? There's a lot of truth in it. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy on dying love having a future and a hope does not mean that hard things won't happen in between but god will be with you and he will do you good all the way home thirdly finally god has good plans and purposes for your life god has good plans and purposes for your life often we don't quite know what god is doing in our lives it would be nice to know, wouldn't it? Or, or at least we think it would. But God never promises that we will always know what he's doing in our lives. But he does promise that he is working out his good plans. And that should be enough. He emphasises this here in verse 11. It's as if the word I in this verse is written in bold. God is saying... You don't know what my plans for you are and you don't need to know, but I do. I know the plans that I have for you and that should reassure us. Uh, we were on, on the boat a couple of times in the last week or so when, when we travel on the ferry. Our children are able to play quite contentedly. Uh, they don't worry about whether the engine will get us safely to the other side. They, they don't look out the window and wonder whether we're on the right course. Uh, but often in life we do the opposite. We, we worry about things that we don't need to worry about. When there is a captain who knows exactly where we're going, who is infinitely wiser than we are, and who doesn't make mistakes. You don't know what God's plans for you are in 2024, even if, if you think that you do. Uh, but he does, and that's enough. He knows what his plans are for you, and that is enough. Uh, but notice also in verse 11 how God reassures us by saying that his plans are not for evil. Why does he say that? Is it not enough just to say that he has uh, good plans for us, plans to give us purpose and a hope? Why does he specifically say that they are not for evil? Well, firstly, to, to, to judge by how things looked at that moment in time, it, it could easily have seemed that God's plans for his people were for evil. There they were, carted off into exile in a foreign land. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anything good about that. But as we've seen, bringing 70 years of hardship on his people was all part of his good plan. 
So whatever happens to you this year, no matter how bad it seems, don't conclude that God's purposes for you are evil. There will be times when it might seem like they are. But here he reassures you, his plans are for welfare or peace, not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. So God tells us that his plans for us aren't evil because at times it might look from our perspective like they are. But he also tells us that his plans for us aren't evil because the devil wants us to think that they are. In 2024, things will happen in your life and the devil will come to you and whisper that God's plan for you is evil. That God isn't really interested in your good. Uh, Maybe God's interested in the good of other people in the church, but not you. And that if this is how God is going to treat you, then it's not worth following him. And that you'd be much better giving up the fight and giving in to temptation. But when the serpent hisses with his insinuations that God's plans for your life are not good, reply with the words of this verse, not for evil, not for evil. I don't know why God is doing this, but I know they are not for evil. The one thing I know in this situation is that God's plan for me is not for evil. And how can we be confident about that? above all we can be confident as we look at the cross we don't just have a promise glorious as that is we have an example the greatest example of all because what happened at the cross it looked evil it was evil in one sense man meant it for evil but God meant it for good and if God meant good in even the wickedest event in human history you can be sure that he intends to bring good out of whatever happens in your life in the next year. Charles Spurgeon once said, God cannot have an evil thought towards his own elect. God cannot have an evil thought towards his own elect. It's simply not possible for God to do anything to harm you if you're one of his people. How can you be sure of that? Because he gave his son for you. And so as Romans 8 puts it, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And as we bring things towards a close this morning, remember that in everything that God brings into your life in 2024, he is working towards a goal His plan is is not aimless. He is working to give you a future and a hope. And all the things that you will face next year, whether the things that you welcome or the things that you'd rather avoid, they are all part of that great plan. Think of a sculptor working away with a hammer and chisel. It looks destructive hammering away at the marble. Maybe someone walks in and doesn't realise what they're doing and says, what, what, what are you doing? Why, why, are you, why are you hitting it with a hammer? And, and that's what it feels like in our lives at times. 
Maybe you don't even have to look ahead to 2024. I wonder whether you'll feel the weight of God's hammer. Maybe you're feeling the weight of that hammer now. (coughs) But if you're one of his people, remember that every blow falls in love. Every blow has a great purpose in mind. And what is that great purpose? To transform us into the image of his son. As the Apostle John put it near the end of his life. Beloved we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. So God has a good purpose for his people in 2024. Before you can claim this promise you need to be sure that you are one of his people. Just because God has a hope and a future for his people doesn't mean that hard things won't happen uh, in between. But in everything that happens, especially the hard things, remember that God's plans for you are not for evil, but are plans to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Well, let's now sing about some of those truths uh, by turning to Psalm 40. Uh, Psalm 40, the first five verses, starting on page 80. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 5, starting on page 80. In verse 5, we praise God for his gracious thoughts towards us. And the word thoughts there is the same as the word translated plans in Jeremiah 29, 11. And in this verse we praise God not just for thinking nice thoughts about us, but for the wonders that he has done. Uh, We praise him for the greatness of his plan for our lives. Yes, at times it will be hard to see what he's doing, uh, just like it was for God's people in Babylon. And so in verse 1, we will have to wait patiently on God often. But look at those two words in the middle of verse 1. At last... At last, God has a future and a hope that he has prepared for his people. And one day, at last, we will see it fully and finally fulfilled. So verses 1 to 5, we stand to sing praise. <laughs> 